Be up. So on our second episode, um, we've got Lee Vernon from Pearl Handled Revolver. And, you know, it, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like a, a caricature of a gnarled rock singer. Um, and I absolutely loved this conversation. I really, I really did. I like the band, but I really like Lee. How did you meet Lee? Well, Lee, Lee's band, Pearl Handled Revolver, is, is probably one of the biggest exports from our hometown. So I'd have been in the crowd and seen Lee, you know, headlines pretty major festivals. And I mean, you'll hear in the podcast, they've been around Europe and, and traveled a lot and played a lot. But I think my first, you know, one of my first early best memories of Lee was watching him all strip, strip down, kind of naked acoustic in a, in a tattoo shop just over the road from my house uh, and their songs. And we often say that, you know, if a song stands up well on its own, just one guitar and a vocal, then you know it stands up well. And, and hearing his band play all stripped back in that tattoo shop, that just sold them to me. He's amazing, amazing guy, amazing band. He's got a few stories to tell. Um, and we look forward to hearing a bit more about Lee in this, this episode. I love that, you know, Neil. I mean, gosh, Lee's lived and, you know, the band, the band go from strength to strength. And it, it, there's something really heartwarming about... Bands like that still being around and still staying relevant because it would be really easy to see them slip away in, a, in an avalanche of, of new and electronic-driven music. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but it's really heartwarming to see bands like Pearl Handled Revolver still going, still selling out, still being in demand, and, um, and, and people like you supporting them. Yeah, I mean, they don't really need us, but we just love pushing them forwards and we want to take them to a, maybe a slightly different audience. I mean, they, they have a very big following themselves anyway. Um, and one of the things which really surprised me actually about Lee's interview um, was, was the, the track that he chose. And we'd obviously asked all the artists to choose a track that was really dear to their heart. Um, and, and the track that, that Lee particularly picked out was was a surprising one. But, but I think when you hear the interview, you, you can understand why he chose it. And it was a... You know, incredible to hear the background as to why why he chose that and what it meant to him. And um, yeah, we look forward to hearing more from Lee coming up. Lee's band, Lee's band has been described as, and I I, I want to get this right because it's really important. Lee's band's been described as taking a, a a bong hit with Nick Cave while listening to Pink Floyd. Is that is that is that a close description, Lee? Uh, yeah, I like that description. I think that's why it's hung around for so many years. But um, yeah, uh, that's a pretty good description. Um, this, the, it sort of encapsulates everything that we like as well. So it means we're getting close to something like it. Yeah. yeah. And just can you um, explain to everyone who's in the band? And we have a bit of an anchor about where your sound is with that description. But could you yeah. maybe expand a little bit on on the sound that you're trying to create and, and obviously the people that, that create that with you? Okay. Um, I guess I should start with um, usually have my experience of getting together with other musicians and making a great band, which has happened a couple of times. I've been really lucky in that respect, is that usually um, there'll be a couple of key sounds that can't be ignored that are so individual and different uh, about you guys that uh, you have to embrace it and try and work with that. In my case, it was my uh, chewing gravel voice um, raised on wood chips and whatever else they said in the first review. Um, <laughs> and meeting Simon Ronaldo, who plays um, uh, electric piano, mm. all sort manner of keyboards and vintage stuff. But he's really into the down and grungy, uh, heavy retro vintage dirt of the pre-digital era. So you, you put that with my rough and ready voice and actually mm. it, they work really well. Uh, I think if I sang perhaps with Logo, for example, it would be a disaster. I think uh, it'd be amazing. Uh, it might be amazing, but who knows? Yeah. Then this is the thing, you kind of work to your strengths and then the sound of the band has kind of come from there, I think. Yeah. It's, um, um, it's really interesting uh, that you talk about the gravel and the grit and, the, and all of that, because actually it's the first time I've seen you not wearing anything black. Um, 
Yeah, I have actually okay, got for that. Yeah, yeah. So sorry. Good. I don't want to let side down. It's actually cold yeah. up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so just uh, tell yeah. us about the um, the other members in the band. Obviously, Simon that you mentioned is. I mean, I, I I know Simon like relatively well. I mean, he's he's just a technical wizard, and he's and the way he plays his electric pianos, and I mean, he's very doorsy kind of influence there. But tell us about sure. the other members of the band. Um, we've also got Chris Thatcher on drums um, now, uh, and um, I'll go straight to um, Andy um, Andy Paris on guitar as well. So you've got uh, in Andy, you've got. Um, some guitarists are, are really into solos and all that kind of thing. You know, and while Andy can do that, he's more involved in the general malay of the song. He's more interested in the song having some kind of um, uniformity to it, um, rather than just sitting his, uh, you know, fret whatever you call it. Um, yeah, I can't say the word. A, shred a shredder. Yes, uh, yeah. he's not one of those. He can if he wants to, but he's not. Uh, and, and partly what I love about his playing is that understated um, but perfect choice that he makes every second that he's playing. Um, and, and of course, because he's not flying around and putting his foot up on speakers <laughs> and being all like that about it, people kind of almost overlook him. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things he experienced a few times in the early days was he'd walk off stage, take his glasses off uh, or put them on. I can't remember which way around it is now. But, mm. uh, and he'd meet people in the audience and they'd go, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed the band. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen them before? <laughs> and he'd be literally chatting for ages going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really enjoyed being up there with them. <laughs> and then he'd wander off uh, and he'd yeah. about it afterwards. But um, Chris Thatcher um, on drums now uh, left hooker. Uh, so he's a complete pain when it comes to setting up in a complicated scenario. Um, none of the sound guys tend to like him <laughs> for that reason. Because he and, and worse still, the drummer who's supporting us will usually get annoyed because he's had to move everything. Yeah, God, yeah. Uh, but it does make for a really interesting package with Chris because he's not um, he's not your typical drummer. He's self-taught. He's actually not a drummer originally. Mm. Uh, he was the front man for a band called Sulphur that used to play around sort of Cambridge way, Bedford way. Yeah. Um, played guitar, um, basically dabbled with, with the drums and uh, apparently caught hold of the fact that we were looking for a drummer and essentially blanked it and got in touch with Simon uh, through all sorts of means. Um, next thing we had him in for an audition and um, he didn't tell us about not being a drummer, by the way. Uh, he just did it. Uh, and we just clicked. Um, mm. And I think that homemadeness about him yeah. um, is also a quality that makes us what we are. If you see what I mean. Yeah, I think if people haven't seen you live or they haven't seen sort of videos, the best description is, you know, for me, you're, you're, my sense is that you're the, the preacher. Um, Simon on the keyboards is just like a professor, is like a wizard. Uh, in a sense and like you say yeah. Andy's Andy's so subtle in what he does but but it's really interesting to see a, um, a band there's no there's no bass guitar right it's just all done by Simon on the keys yeah and I think yeah. you know seeing Andy just work his craft but it's very unassuming but it, it's really uh, sensitive about how the song goes and, and the best description I could probably say from seeing Chris and from from you know out front it's, it's just an absolute animal, isn't it? He's incredible. Like the stuff flying yeah. around all over the place and <laughs> it's amazing to watch. And and probably just a reference for everyone as well that, you know, your your band, Lee, has, has travelled far and wide. You know, I've probably seen you headlines of quite big festivals with, you know, lots of people in the audience. I know you've you've travelled abroad and played there. Yeah. But I think my, probably my, honest, my first best memory of your band was um, was a tattoo shop session that you did literally 20 yards from my house. Yeah, that was a like great, an acoustic great thing. It was incredible. Day. Yeah, yeah, it was really lovely. Get... Um, well, um, that was a weird one. I think we just got back from Amsterdam, and uh, we had a message uh, saying a bit, a bit weird. I don't suppose you'd be interested in a gig with five to ten people in it um, after what you've just done. And mm. we actually, at the time, were talking about doing some acoustic sets. 
taking the full electric and seeing how they would work. It's always a test of a good song, isn't it? If it if it works and you take everything else away. Uh, so we tried to work on that and, and it seemed like a great opportunity to try some out in that way, even though we hadn't really rehearsed them very much. Um, uh, so they asked us to come along. It was a little bit of a joint, uh, similar to the things that you guys do at Blender, where you kind of take a, a venue, you're supporting a local venue, you're encouraging people to go in there and have a drink in wherever and, you know, yeah. keep this sort of um, uh, symbiotic relationship going between mm. locals and community and et cetera, et cetera. It was kind of like that for us that uh, they were a new tattoo uh, parlor, relatively speaking, at the time. And so they were trying to up their profile. They wanted to get um, new customers, new audience, etc. cetera. Um, and they were willing to just shut up shop early. Uh, I think it was a midweek or something. Yeah, it was like know. Wednesday, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, of course, they said to us, you know, feel free to sell tickets if you want, but we can only have 15 there. Little did we know that that would actually be a massive crowd by today's standards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I it, it was really interesting that because I went to quite a lot of those and it was like if you were in the, like to, to walk through the threshold to be in the audience was, I would say, probably as nerve wracking as it was to play because you're in an audience with five or six or seven people. And mm. you're in, literally, you're in someone's kind of like shop and you're right in the face of the people performing. And it's Yeah, weirdly enough as well, because you were so close. Uh, they had everybody on little bean bags and stuff, didn't mm. they? I think um, it, was, it was the best way of getting everybody in and seated. But yeah. on top of that, I was kind of looking over everybody because uh, they were sitting on the floor around me. It was like some sort of... Um, um, uh, a kibbutz type going and all that is wonderful but then yeah. I, I was looking at the window as well onto the street outside and of course people were walking by and suddenly just popping up mm. uh, and looking through the window <laughs> like this. so that yeah. was a little off-putting but apart from that uh, once it got dark it had a great atmosphere in there didn't it yeah it was an incredible night yeah um I could talk about that uh, a lot but I think we should move on because um we're a bit pressed on time. So I'm going to ask you those uh, quick, quick fire questions. And then we're going to get to hear about the track that you've chosen, um, which is really interesting, actually, Lee, because I, I was really surprised about the track you did choose because a lot of your music's quite heavy and, and pounding and, uh, and has this kind of sort of esoteric nature. And you actually chosen quite a, a light touch track to talk about. Mm. So I'm, I'm sure Mark's going to go into a bit more detail with you, with you on that. But let's run through these quick fire questions and then we're going to play the track and I'll hand you over, hand you over to Mark's um, okay. warm hands. So uh, first single. First single, uh, this is terrible. <laughs> okay, um, uh, Tommy Steele, Little White Bull. And it had, um, you had a picture on the back and you could colour it in and send it in for a competition. I mean, it's, this isn't about me, Lee, but just to help you out there, my first single was um, Green Door Shaking Stevens, and I saved oh. up 25 packets of hula hoops to, to get that. Superb. So yeah, I yeah. think I can trump your, you know, <laughs> embarrassing moment. I'm just trying to help yeah. you out a bit there. Yeah, um, thank you. First album. Uh, first album, kind of didn't buy this. It was one of my dad's, but it was the only option I had at the time. But I did love it. And it was uh, an album released on KTEL Records, and it was by the Drifters. And the reason why I loved it was because it had a cartoon strip of all of the songs, like a little a storyboard, but beautifully yeah. drawn in like a 60s kind of kapow way, you know. <laughs> As a kid, I loved all that. But uh, cool. So that was that. Uh, first gig. Somebody at the door. Can we get yeah, that? I'm going to leave it. It's fine. Okay. It'll, Kirsten's trying to buy the internet, so it's fine. <laughs> That's fine. So, sorry, what was that? Um, uh, first... The first gig you went to. First gig I went to was actually uh, a local band called Fantasize, uh, heavy dub reggae, uh, very heavy dub reggae it turned out. And I, I was quite young. Um, uh, I basically shouldn't have been in the pub, uh, <laughs> but I knew a couple of the guys uh, from my drama group and they encouraged me to go along. So I did. Uh, I was I, I essentially said I was going to stay with friends and um, <laughs> At a time in my life, fantastic band. I still know the guys now. 
Yeah, I I um I had a tape of theirs called uh, Get, Getting Lively. Oh yeah, that tape, awesome. I, that tape I played it more than any other tape I've ever owned, and they are amazing. They're an amazing band. Crazy. They were the only band I knew then who didn't need a smoke machine. <laughs> yeah, it's a family show, Lee. I don't know what you're talking about. I, no, I absolutely. No. A, Always played on foggy mornings. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Dickensian kind of dub thing. That's right. Oh, look, there's, there goes a cat. <laughs> um, so the, the first, uh, the first stereo you owned, Lee. Um, it was uh, a Technics, believe it or not. Uh, but it was a hand-me-down. It was my brother's old uh, massive stack system. It was bigger than me. And I'd, I'd spent most of my childhood not being out of touch it without being beaten up or thrown down the <laughs> stairs. Um, yeah, so if it even touched the volume, it was big trouble for Lee. So I was yeah. really happy when I got that. Uh, and a couple of old Wharfdales, which uh, oh, nice. sadly no, no longer with me. I've still got some Wharfdales upstairs in the, in the studio. Diamond, really lovely good one. speakers. Yeah, yeah. Did it have a lot of flashing lights on it? Because I remember my sister, um, she had a stereo and it had like this 3D light system and it only uh, only got to, when I was about 12, I realised it was only uh, 2D lights, but they had a mirror at an angle that <laughs> yeah. made it look like it was shooting out forwards. Yeah, it's similar to But mine was even more article, just had the kind of, you know, you had the dials and stuff. And they put loads of little buttons on it that made you think you were in control of the sound. <laughs> but generally, they just made them worse. You know, yeah, so. super uber bass boost, uh, 3D yeah. bass boost, yeah, all that. An EQ that nobody knew what to anything about or how to use, you know, and generally everybody's was different when they first yeah, came yeah. out, weren't they, EQs? Yeah, gosh. Yeah. I love all that. And I love the simplicity now that actually, the you know, the best bits of kit that we've managed to pull in over the years are just on and off. Yeah, yeah. It's all yeah. you really need, isn't it? We've kind of accepted now that we to let somebody's creation that they spent three years making and putting out yeah. or whatever to then be drawn down to somebody on a graphic equalizer going, yeah. oh, I need, oh, God, I need the base. You know, yeah, yeah. that seems a bit of a shame, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, that could be a whole nother 15 hour show, Lee. You might yeah. get me started. That's yeah, it's a dangerous too. game, that. Um, the first band you fell in love with. Oh, um, I think it would probably be uh, Free, uh, Paul Kossoff. Yeah, um, yeah. If if there's a band I wish I'd seen when they were at their peak, um, it would have been them. Uh, I really enjoyed the live videos I see on on YouTube and stuff, and that's nice that I can go back and do that now because at the mm. time we couldn't do any of those things, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I don't like All Right Now, weirdly enough. That's a song I've never liked. Don't know why they did it. Or, well, I know why they did it, but, you know. Um, there are many better songs they released. Uh, they didn't go anywhere and didn't really do a great deal, but on the albums yeah. like Fire and Water and stuff. So. I think yeah. you can see there's a lot of body language, but similarities between how you play and how where you perhaps pick that up from free okay cool i can see that it's really yeah interesting you say that um maybe the spirit lives within <laughs> well let's hope so uh yeah. the, the first song you fell in love to um oh i did have this one um <laughs> yeah sorry uh it's just immediately changed in my mind um it's, it's actually uh yeah, it's um, it's a song uh, by the Moody Blues, and I'm trying to think of the title of it. Um, oh dear God, no, I can't think. I can't. It's gone. Are you, are you passing, Lee? You're the first time, first person ever to pass on the quick fire round. It's not. A, it's well, no got a really long title. It's got a really long title. It's like uh, the pursuit of some blah 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 blah, and it goes on and on and yeah. on in in only the proggiest of manners. You know, it's got this ridiculously long. Uh, title, yeah. but um, yeah, I'll find it, and I'll by the time we talk again, I'll know cool. what it is. All right, brill. Um, first disco you went to, uh, that's an uh, easy one, only youth club. Um, I would have been about 12, um, and only allowed to stay till eight. I think that was <laughs> really late though for me then, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's the start of the rock and roll. Excesses there, at least. Yeah, just orange juice. That was all. Yeah, yeah good man. 
Uh, first song you can remember dance remember dancing to. <laughs> yeah, wham. There you go. Good. I said it there. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's valuable. It's valid and valuable. Um, Didn't feel first... it at the time, but there you go. <laughs> uh, the first time music blew your mind, and that's music, Lee, not fog. Yeah. Okay. First time music blew my mind. Um, I mentioned a drama group I was in at school, uh, going back to a friend's house in the drama group who was a bit older than us. Um, and his mate uh, brought around some records, popped them on. He had a, a Cambridge audio set up in his house. It sounded amazing. I'd never heard anything mm. like it before. Uh, and he put um, Solid Air on by oh, John, John Martin. Martin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought I, I'd had something strange in my drink or whatever just by sitting there in this room where wow. it was so perfectly laid out so yeah wow. first time I did. yeah um and do you, do you play instruments lee what's the was an instrument you picked up first not maybe quite as heavy as sarah's piano but harmonica was the very first thing i ever played um it just seemed easy to me um because there's not a lot going on there is there you know a few holes should be easy enough my granddad played a little bit. I've actually still got his uh, old chromatic uh, oh, well. in the other room. So um, I can't really remember ever hearing him play it. So it's odd that I remember all of that, but I yeah, just remember yeah. seeing them around the house. But uh, well, but he was a pianist and um, entertainer during the war and all those things. Um, he flew all around playing for all the... Uh, all the famous black jazz singers that were sent over here to entertain our troops, or their troops, sorry, in, in England. My granddad was often the pianist that would be called up and had to put his gear on and yeah, yeah. go and do that. So I had a lot of admiration for him. So that's yeah. probably why. Yeah, it's a nice, nice link, isn't it? It's beautiful. Um, what was the first song you learned to play? Uh, first time I learned to play was um, uh, Canned Heat on the Road again, I think it's called, isn't it? Uh, classic harmonica thing to try and yeah, learn. Yeah. I thought if I can get that, then uh, I can conquer the world because, you know, I could probably blag everything else after that. So, um, needs to say, I still can't play it properly. Uh, <laughs> but there you go. I had a horrible uh, split second there thinking... Well, I didn't expect Lee to answer that, that he's, he tried to learn a Jamiroquai track. That's, that's <laughs> but, yeah, no, thank no, God no. it yeah it panned out the way it did. Um, yeah. And what was the first track you wrote? Uh, I'm guessing you were in probably other bands before Pearl Handled Revolver. Mm. What was the first track you wrote? You're gonna like this. Uh, a friend of mine, Wogan, Paul Wogan. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna get him to watch this. We were at school together. Uh, he he had a little Yamaha keyboard. Um, and around about the age of 14, we were heavily into drama. We were making all these showcases and stuff. I'd written a song for this girl to perform five minutes before she was due to sing it. She started crying and everything. It all went horribly wrong. She couldn't go on. So I was the only one who knew it. So I had to go and do it myself. That's the first time I'd ever sung anything. Um, and it was also the first time I'd ever written anything, of course. That was my first experience of realising wow. you better write something good if you're going to sing it, because it's really embarrassing if you don't. Yeah. Uh, and it was called Blue Tight Fist of Love. There you go. How sad well, is that? I'm, I said I it. Don't, I don't, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's been said. It can't be unsaid. Um, no. I've got a copy of, not those lyrics, thank God. <laughs> I've got a copy of the lyrics of the song that you've chosen. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that the, the feed's going to play that neatly because I think it cut out when, when we played Sarah's song. But I'm going to... I'll just thanks so much, Lee, for um, coming on and talking to us. And um, I've always loved seeing you guys play. I think I've been really privileged to see you in, in some of the bigger venues. And, in, and as we were saying, that tattoo shop, it, it's amazing to see what you guys do. I think it's really individual and different. And there's, a, there's an energy around it, which is... Unless you see it live, it's really hard to to describe to people but partly why i was really surprised about the track you you, you chose but i'm sure mark's going to go a bit deeper into that so i'm going to see if i can um line this up um see how i get on with that um and yeah we'll catch you on the other side
stopped me from having a little moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just add my spotlight there. Um, Lee, that was brilliant. Do you know what I liked about that? That was like the musical equivalent of a very low potency 1970s spliff. It was absolutely brilliant. It was like smoking sativa rather than the heavy old scumbag <laughs> at these days, which frankly, I think yes. bring back. I'll be honest, I, I think <laughs> drive, driving lager and driving dope is, is exactly where we need to be headed right now. So um, that was, it was, it was yeah. eerily beautiful and the artwork was, was stunning. And, and I'm guessing that's done i'm guessing that's that's one of you guys that produces the artwork or or someone that you know yeah um it's actually uh chris believe it or not the drummer uh it's one of the things we try and do in the band is obviously you try and appreciate other people have other talents too and as much as possible because we don't necessarily get paid for what we do we just put the money back in to make another album so there has to be something to bond us uh, to keep us, uh, you know, participating and, and taking things like, well, Chris is great at artwork and it, these things kind of help tie you in in a stronger way, uh, in a creative, more creative way. So Chris deals with those. I do all of the Photoshop work to them, which let me tell you when he does these drawings on lined paper, for example, it's very difficult. <laughs> Uh, we nailed that one fairly soon. He stopped doing that now, but uh, yeah. Um, so they were swinging around us, but yes, all of the artwork generally is hand drawn by Chris, uh, first of all, and then we'll work on it together um, digitally and just uh, get it to a point where we're really happy with it. That's brilliant. Thank you. And like, you know, when, when I researched you, um, the words rock and psychedelia came up again and again, and I. I, I think I think the whole like late late sixties American psychedelic garage psychedelic movement, electric prunes, thirteenth uh, floor elevators, like we mm. we all know about that, right? But the British psychedelia movement, which actually I don't many people don't know this, gave birth. I mean that's what status quo were originally. They were a psychedelic yeah. band, very similar to well not very similar in in the same field as Kaleidoscope, who my one of my favourite brand, the British band, Kaleidoscope yeah. rather than the American yeah. Kaleidoscope. Um, uh, I mean, how would you define yourselves? Are you more rock? Are you more psychedelic? Well, well I mean, is it is it useful to categorise? And if you did, where would you put yourself? Uh, we used to have this discussion all the time. Um, I think originally we thought, we started off thinking it is useful to categorise uh, because everybody wants to know who you are and they tell you you've got to put that out. Otherwise, where do we pitch you? And that was how it was when we started. So you were either blues or rock or blues rock uh, but there was seemingly nothing in between whereas uh, and then as you go um, people start to write reviews and things like that and they use their own terminology to describe what you are and gradually you kind of work up this little off off pat that you can come out with whenever you get asked something uh, but now we've found that actually the fact that we are a mix of so many genres um, I think that's been a benefit to us because, you know, we we can apply for prog gigs, we can apply for blues gigs, we can apply for rock gigs, um, always originals. Uh, we never do anything where there's covers bands if we can help it. Occasionally one sneaks in onto the uh, roster, but, uh, you know. But, yeah, so there are, there are swings around about. Sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. And why did you choose this particular song? What does this song mean to you? Uh, it means probably more than any any other song that I've ever written. Um, it was written at a time when I just found out my mum had got cancer. Um, we weren't sure what was going to happen. So that was the first thing. Uh, number one woman in my life at the time was under threat. Um, I was going through relationship problems at the time, I guess you could say. So equally, there was this imbalance in my life that only the music seemed to be fine. Um, and of course, you've got to be strong when somebody's got cancer. You don't necessarily want to keep breaking down when you go around the scene and things like that, even though you feel like doing that inside. So for me, I think writing this um, was important. Um, it helped me 
say some things um, perhaps a little bit too close to the bone because I actually I've cried twice while I've been performing this and we haven't performed it live that often because it involves um, cellos and uh, all sorts of wonderful things um, which of course is a hard thing to organize with most venues but uh, we've done it a few times um, but it's equally sad for me because the guy that I did um, the work on for the instrument, the, the, the orchestration parts, if you like, um, was a guy called Keith Templeman, who used to write compositions and had his own quartet, I believe, uh, worked with Milton Keynes Orchestra. Uh, I knew him through other people and friends. Um, and was introduced to him and said, Look, you know, if you want help putting a score together that proper musicians, as they used to call them, can read, because I didn't write music, I couldn't put all that together for them. Uh, this is the guy, go and see him. So me and him, I literally sat there and hummed the melody how, as I heard it in my head um, with the, well, I want the cellos, you know, I'm doing all this. And somehow he picked it all apart and presented it to me in Sibelius is this the kind of thing you're after? And we worked it out and I got on so well with him. It was such a wonderful experience. Then he introduced us to his musicians, pulled them in and recorded it in a church in, in a place called Twomborough near Buckingham. Uh, so it was all done live in, in the church. Uh, the whole experience was just wonderful. Uh, and about two or three days after we started to mix the track, Keith actually passed away. Uh, he was on holiday in France, really sad, fell from some steps, and that was that. So suddenly I'm left with this song that means a lot to me, kind of gets me emotional anyway. And now just lost a brand new friend. Um, so that's why I picked that song. Perhaps I shouldn't have done, because I'm actually getting a bit <coughs> choked up now just talking about it. But... Uh, it's important to me. That's why I picked it. Lee, you can hear it in your voice when you recorded it, right? You can, you 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 can sense it in the song. It's it's a beautiful song, and and as a, I won't call it a tribute, but as a, as a song that 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 that, that rem, rem, reminds you of those people, then clearly it did its job, right? And there's mm. something cathartic about writing at moments. Where we where, where we're like that, there's something cathartic about creativity and about ex expression. And um, I mean, I was really interested to hear. There's two or three things. Number one, the cellos. I was going to talk to you about the string instruments in in there because they really make it. They genuinely mm. make it, and they make me want to cry. Mm. Full stop. But I think Lee. I think Lee. Um, Neil said at the beginning, you don't have a bass. You don't have bass in your band at all. No. So no. I'm, I see. I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by this whole idea that lead singer, drummer, lead guitarist, backing guitarist, bass, like five elements. In and and I wonder yeah. how much of a constraint that is. And I one of my favourite bands are Royal Blood, mm. and it, it is only bass and drums. And yeah. there's something just like fucking hell. How can you make that sound? Do you did you find not having a bassist was a freedom or a constraint? Well, I mean, I've come clean, we did have a bassist um, right at the very start, a guy called Ollie. Uh, it was fantastic, um, but he fell in love the first gig we did in Amsterdam and we left him there. Um, so, yeah, kind of. It was a little bit more complicated than that, but uh, bless him. We love him very much and we're still close, so it's all good. But when we returned... Um, uh, you mentioned, well, the doors have been mentioned. They didn't have a bass player either. Occasionally somebody would come in and do the odd bit, I believe, on, on, yeah. on various tracks. But, uh, and we'd struggled to get another bass player, uh, mainly no, nothing to do with the way people played necessarily, more to do with uh, not finding somebody that instantly fitted in with what we already had going. Um, and again, I don't mean really musically. I mean uh, as friends. Uh, most of our time in the studio is actually about how you integrate. Uh, and if you put, uh, and we've had a few try to audition that people are just trying too hard or 
they're not even sure themselves why they're there. They're just going for a band and it shows immediately. But if they're really keen and they love what you do and, and, and they like the same things, you find out pretty quickly in the studio. Uh, and we kept trying bass players. And as I say, it, we were spending more time looking for somebody than we were creating. So Simon just said, well, look, I know I'm spinning a lot of plates at the moment, but uh, I've got this foot pedal array. Let's have a go and at least we can carry on gigging uh, while we're looking. So that's how it started, but we ended up really not that keen on getting somebody new in. And it was really that invasion, I think, of a new personality. We weren't ready for it at that point. So uh, bless him, Simon. Um, he's gone from, oh, this is going to be tricky, to do just does everything really easily now. Uh, he's kind of you know, just normal and natural. So, bless him. That's amazing. And look, I mean, tell me it all ended well in Amsterdam. Tell me tell me they're still together and like... Yeah, married, children. Oh, yeah, he's over the moon. He's, um, she was, he is, sorry, gorgeous as well. And I have to say, uh, me and Dolly were both, we, we called, kind of, he, he referred to me as his old brother. That's how we were. Um, he'd get me into trouble and I'd try and look after him and he'd, he'd invariably been looking after me. Um, but we loved each other and uh, we were both looking at this bunch of girls in the front and it was at the Paradiso in, in Amsterdam, yeah. fantastic venue. Um, Black Crows had just played in the next room and then everybody came out of there and we were supposed to be entertaining the, the bods that had been in there. So uh, we were looking at these girls and he just basically got off the stage and started wandering about and chatting to them with his guitar. And, uh, before we knew it, yeah, he, he was talking to her on the phone. Next thing he's flying out there. Next thing we can't get hold of him for rehearsals. So it became pretty quick. Uh, yeah, I, I think we've lost our bass player. I love it. Um, I mean, you couldn't lose it to a better cause. And look, one of the things that you just said then was really interesting. And, and my next question was going to be, how have you grown together as a band as you've as you've as you've gone through life? How how cohesive and how tightly woven is the weft the weft and the warp of of of, of your friendship? And then you pop out straight away well we didn't get another bass player because we didn't actually want somebody else to to come in um mm. how how does a band age well together uh yeah it's a difficult one i'm sure everybody's different but we thought we were perfect we thought we talked about everything and uh we shared each other's real thoughts uh didn't keep any secrets and, and then all of a sudden we realized Oh, there are a few cracks forming here. Um, and we actually went to go and see a chap um, who essentially acted as almost like a, a counsellor, <laughs> in, in essence, for the band. Um, he isn't a counsellor, he, he's normally a business advisor. But as a friend, he sat there and he said, well, I, I've got a few techniques I use with businesses to try and get corporations and committees talking past all the bullshit and you know the bits and bobs so you'll have to bleep me out there um but yeah um so he said I, I can run these past you and we'll hopefully identify if there are any issues internally with the band and we'll help you through this and within one afternoon he got us uh, completely changed we, we, we'd opened up about so many more things but just in a different way because he was there and we couldn't really uh, make things up or just tell people what we thought they wanted to hear and since then I think that stopped us from reaching a, a critical moment where we'd gone too far um, and we've stayed we've kind of accepted our roles in the band we accept that um, not everybody can do everything so we've kind of allocated little things to each other um, you know sometimes that has to be imbalanced and sometimes one person has to do a bit more than somebody else. We all have uh, problems in our lives in different times when it's more difficult. So we try and balance it out, but always keep the full uh, quota going along um, with somebody doing it, you know. But uh, yeah, it's been difficult in lockdown, I've got to say. Um, you've got a, a technophobe drummer who uh, 
he's happy with his phone, but you know, he's he's not uh, he's not happy with setting up an interface and things like that, and doesn't feel like it's real. So, and I totally understand that. Um, so we haven't been actually making music per se with each other all through lockdown. We've been writing little things and sending bits and bobs to each other. Um, Chris, bless him, puts his phone there and just taps out on something and goes, well, I thought it'd you know, be a bit like this. But it's nowhere near good enough and it's nowhere near the same. So it's kind of been a bit of a... Um, uh, we, we, we're experiencing some loss, I think. Is... Do you feel a grief for that? Do you feel... Do you, is there a sadness that sits with that? 100%. <laughs> um, people, you know, talk about missing the pub... Um, Mostly, they're not missing the drink; they're missing the people they used to see there. Uh, and this is no different. That was my—you'd um, have a busy week at work, and that was the one time you shut the doors to the studio. We'd all get in there, we'd turn it right up till our ears bleed, and we'd just thrash it out. And sometimes, nothing really, nothing like it. Yeah, it's even better than being at a gig sometimes when you're. You just be, you've been able to get rid of something um, and and create something great as well. And if you've managed to record that moment, yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a great thing. And when it isn't there, um, but it's the bounce off, you know, the creativity of. I work on my own as a sculptor in a workshop, and I don't see anybody all day. So you, you kind of get to this drone of hammering and chiseling and all that so to go and suddenly be in a room with four like-minded people that you love very much who all like making music that you like listening to more importantly you know uh, it's just yeah i really miss it i'm really missing it's amazing i mean and sad and i'm certain come whenever april 12th whatever it is that you're able to get together mm. do you feel like it's going to unleash a greater urgency or, or or do you think you're going to struggle to find pace um i personally i'm quite i'm quite worried i'll be honest um my own feelings about coming out of this lockdown uh, i think about six months ago if you'd have asked me i'd have said oh yeah i can't wait can't wait to for it all to be back to normal but um yeah there's um a shocking amount of me that's got quite used to being on my own uh, I've always liked my own company. I've always needed uh, a bit of solitude from time to time uh, with my thoughts. Um, but yeah, I'm a little bit alarmed how much I've enjoyed it. Um, and I'm I'm not going to miss going back to rehearsal because that's just the four of us. That'll be, that'll be easy. Um, and I can't imagine that's going to take as long to get back into that. But I am not looking forward to necessarily things getting back to normal if that makes sense so I'm not sure how it's going to feel I know what you mean I, I drove to South Wales for a work meeting the other day all le all legal all allowed mm. and it, it was terrifying it was mm. hot. I didn't, didn't like it anyway look to, ra to wrap up I'm acutely aware of time tell me really quickly um, maybe two or three word answers what did your childhood taste like smell like and sound like my childhood similar to Neil's uh, heavily uh influenced by peanut butter but it had to be sun pat or it went back to the shop too sweet but it was the peanut butter of the time right it, it really was i think every kid around my age then peanut butter was a bit of a new thing for us it, it, it seemed so american as well yeah. so we were, we were all running around and gg you know whizzing our heads off on all this <laughs> sweet peanut stuff um but yeah, my mum sent me off with sandwiches every single day to school. That's that's the uh, the other the smell, uh, golden Virginia. Yeah, your in, own or your dad's in, in your the mom. tin. My my dad's because believe it or not, when I was at first school in Oni, we had spelling tests on a Friday, and they would give you you had to cut out the words that the teacher wrote on a piece of paper, and each word just cut out in a little strip would go into, get this. You had to bring in a tobacco tin from your from your dad's. Ask your dad to clean his tobacco tin out, and you'd have to come with that tobacco tin, and you'd put all your words in it, and they would be kept in there, and you'd have to learn those words by Friday. So every day, I was opening this, I was getting this smell of 
And I loved the smell of that because my dad smoked and, you know, and all those things. So can you think? That's dreadful, no. isn't it? It is. So yeah, it's but we didn't have we didn't have tobacco tins to send stuff in. No, they sent. They sent them home. home. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't that big. The yeah. alarms, yeah. mate. It's, yeah. the, fa- <laughs> it's, the, it's the tobacco. Four instructions was <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get, send Bruno. Pop it because <laughs> Bruno is one of my my, my smells for my for my my pap my my, my yeah. granddad. Yeah. Um, and um, and it is a it's really interesting, a really evocative smell, and probably leads us on to smoking at some point, I suspect. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. what did your childhood taste like, Lee? Oh, um, I would have to say lardy cake. Oh, now we're talking. <laughs> well, I used to spend a lot of summers down in Bournemouth, near Eastbourne. Um, actually, my auntie lived at Bear Cross. I don't know whether Neil knows that. Um, Anyway, near Christchurch, all those places. So I spent a lot of time down the south coast, um, and lardy cake was sold across the board, where whichever sort of seafront you went to, Weymouth, wherever, and they would serve it in these big paper bags, which would be sodden with grease before you'd even got to where you were going to eat it. Translucent <laughs> by the time you left the shop. That's the one, yeah. I remember. Yeah. But my God, beautiful yeah. stuff. So Swanage was our, our holiday destination of choice. Not far, just across Studland from Bournemouth. And um, and I remember watching my, my pap or my nana come back up the, the front carrying a bag. And I could always tell if there was lardy cake in there because yeah. it had gone clear with grease. <laughs> and um, yeah, desperately miss it, actually, one day. Um, Lee, thank you. I'm going to have to bring it to a hock because I need to create space. We're going we're gonna to overrun 11 Hit me up. Okay, if you made it this far, thanks for listening. You can check out more information about Reasons to be Cheerful at reasonstobecheerful.co.uk and you can check out more information about what we do at Blender at blendermusic.co.uk.